0: joke, and I can't give that up. I'm not sure that I might not have used this one here a couple years ago, I, but I think it's a good one. There was this young preacher who was called to be the minister of the church of this church, and anyhow, they, uh su- Sunday came for him to do his sermon, and he was long-winded, way too. He he kept them overtime and. Uh, People criticized him for it, so he's decided to cut back. Well, the next Sunday morning, he comes into the church and he has those little band-aid things all over, you know, from shaving. And anyway, somebody said to him, What happened to you this morning? He said, Well, he said, Well, I was shaving. He said, I was so enthused about my sermon. He said, And he said, that I nicked myself. And a little old lady, and there's one in every congregation, said, said to him, well, next time, pay more attention to the sermon, and no, pay more attention to your shaving and cut the sermon. (laughs) I guess what what helped me that I can usually limit my sermons is having uh, preached on the radio up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I was a substitute for the Rescue Mission R, the speaker, and he... Didn't make it. The last year I was there, I preached more that year than he did on the radio. But I learned that when you're on the radio, you better be finished when the, when the time's up. Because if not, you're going to be cut off. That's why they have in the radio studios, they have these big clocks hanging on the wall in each of the studios at the, at the radio station that you can watch yourself and make sure that, you, that you're finished in time. But uh, I don't need a clock back there. I don't think you want one either, right? <laughs> They're restricting sometimes. We're looking at Esther today. Uh, if you haven't read the book of Esther lately, I'd encourage you to maybe read it this week. It's in my Bible that I have used to get the sermon ready. It's, there are 10 pages for the book of Esther. But in the Bible I have, half of the page is notes. And annotations at the bottom, you know, trying to further explain some of the verses. So it's basically about five, five good pages. We find there when we read at the beginning that there is this king by the name of Xerxes. He ruled over a hundred and twenty-seven provinces, reaching from India all the way over to, to Kush. He was a proud man, As kings are, they're usually wealthy. He was a wealthy and proud man, and he loved to give banquets. He gave seven-day banquets, and he was having, it was at one of these banquets that he was giving, that uh, he had the leaders of all 127 provinces there, and his wife, Vashti, the queen, she was over on the other side of the palace grounds, and she had a special banquet also for the for the ladies. It doesn't tell us what went on over with the ladies, but it does give us a little clue to what was going on at the men's banquet. And he loved to entertain. He had these banquets frequently. And uh, seven days, a lot of people would say, boy, that's a long time for to have a banquet. Well, I can tell you years ago, I've was invited to a Greek Orthodox wedding. Now, how many know what I'm going to say? <laughs> Greek Orthodox, they have a three-day reception after their weddings. I couldn't make it to the wedding because of the job I had at that time. But Sundays I could go to the reception, and the reception lasted till Monday afternoon. But uh, so that is nothing new in that part of the world. Their cultures are different, and their Habits and, and the way they do things are different from the way we do them here today. Queen Vashti was over at her banquet with her ladies, and messengers came over from the king, and they said, Vashti, come on over. The king wants you to dance at his, at his banquet. Now, from what I've heard of dancing back in those times, and even today in that part of the country, they were belly dancers. And he wanted to show her off because she was a beautiful woman in, in every manner. She was a beautiful woman. And he just really wanted to show her off. It says that he, after much wine, he had asked her to come over. So we know what that was like at that party. Uh, so anyhow, she said to, sent word back to him no, I am not going to do it. So the men, naturally, you know, we're known as for being chauvinists, and uh, the men, they said, that's terrible, that the queen wouldn't respond to your request. I, I'd take her out. I wouldn't let her be queen anymore. I'd get rid of her. And they uh, all agreed with, with the king, and the king told her you are no longer queen and they put her out so then he sent word throughout the 127 provinces that they were supposed to recruit uh, re- recruit young beautiful women virgin women because uh, to pick out a new queen and this went on for i don't know how long it don't really tell us but it does tell us that after they had all the women that they thought they needed uh, for him to have a a pick, you know, that he wouldn't have to take just the one, but that he'd have his choice. Uh, They brought Esther in. They found Esther right there uh, living close to the palace. They wouldn't have had to go all the way to India to find one, but they they, uh, found her, and she was next to the palace, and they brought her in. And in preparation for these women... They were put on special diets. They got uh, special facials, uh, massages, uh, everything that they needed to beautify them. And it was almost a year later that they decided the eunuchs that were uh, taking care of these women and and preparing them uh, send in Esther. Uh, Esther went in there, and and uh, she, she was a very beautiful. And the king fell in love with her just at one sight, and she became the queen. Because of this refusal of Vashti, though, according to some historians from other parts other than Radharan where this happened, uh, it says that women began to stand up to their husbands. And that got the husbands pretty angry. They didn't do always what the husband wanted to do, and that all started with Esther, you women's liberator. Okay, she, you probably have Saint Esther as the head of the, you know, as the patron saint of women's liberators. But anyhow, uh, we we have to see here that that uh, everybody was against Vashti and that they, they, he chose her, and she became the queen now uh, Esther for her background she lost her parents it doesn't tell us at what age but an uncle took care of her That was the tradition back then they didn't, weren't rushing people off to homes and or children off to homes but uh, uh, one of the elders of the, in the family would take over the raising of the child and Mordecai, who was a Jew, took over and raised her. Now, you, if you've probably read many times that this is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God. The closest thing to God that is in the Book of Esther is a Jew named Mordecai. And anybody that knew a Jew knew that he worshipped a one. He was the one God person and. Mordecai was very bold about his faith, even though he was living in a heathen land at the time. He was very bold about it. He practiced his opened the shutters, going facing east and said his prayers Uh, in Jewish tradition. He just followed it out to to the nth degree. So anyhow, uh, Esther went in. Nobody said that she was Jewish. She didn't tell them that she was Jewish. And she was the one that finally went in after all these months of preparation. Mordecai, in the meantime, still went out and sat at the gate. Now, anybody that's been to Israel and you take the tours of a lot of these, the ruins of a lot of these old cities over there, uh, I know there were not all of them, but a number of them that I have visited, uh, they had like a platform outside the gate with a canopy over the top of it and that's where the elders of the of, of that city or that town would sit all day long you know uh, like uh, years ago they used to kid about the old man all hanging around the barber shops well this this was not their barber shop this was sitting there and they sat in judgment of people that came to them if somebody came in there and they had a dispute with somebody, they'd go to the elders who were sitting out at the gate. This was around the time of the judges in, in Israel too, also, but even though this wasn't an Israeli town. And he was sitting out there with the others. Well, you know, you hear a lot. <laughs> uh, and he heard that there were two men Within Xerxes' cabinet, you'd call it maybe today, if it was the president, but within his ruling group that had decided they were going to assassinate Xerxes, and uh, Mordecai went to didn't say anything at the gate, but he went to Esther, and he said, "The king is going to be assassinated. I heard, overheard these two men; they're plotting to assassinate him." So. Uh, he thought that she ought to warn the king, which she did. She told him that her uh, that uh, this man Mordecai had come to her and that there was a plot to, for assassination. So Haman, who is the, the bad guy in the story, Haman was assigned to go and round up these two that were, wanted to assassinate the king. And he did in quick order and had them hung just about immediately. As soon as he found out, he found them and, and it was done. So this made Haman bigger in the eyes of the king. The king thought, Well this this man, look, he he's one of my best people around me, you know. He he does and carries out what needs to be done. So uh, the two conspirators, like I said, they were caught and hanged, and and uh, because of it, Haman was even giving a, a higher position in the king's court. People were, t- in fact, it was that high, that people were told that when Haman came down the street, you had to bow down before him, everybody was to bow down before Haman, and Haman, really, he really loved that. He was the one probably that wanted a whole lot of attention all the time. But anyhow, there was this one man named Mordecai, would not bow down. The old Jewish teachings are you bow down to no man, but you bow down to your creator. And uh, so he would not bow down to Haman or any other uh man of high, st- higher stature than what he was he, he just wouldn't do it and it was shortly after that that Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew and that was the first plot to annihilate the Jews I think that I know of in the Bible or in modern history but he wanted to annihilate all the Jews in the 127 provinces <clears throat> and he went in and he uh, talked with the king, and he said, there is a people living among us who will not bow down or observe your edict. So the king said, well, who is this man? And Haman uh, told him, and at Haman's uh, behest, the king issued an order that on a certain day at a certain time all the Jews within the kingdom were to be annihilated, they were to be killed. Haman was a bold man. He said to the king, why don't you set aside a large amount of money so that we can pay the ones that will carry out this edict to kill all the Jews? And the king said, "Uh, I'll give you the money and you do with it as you will. Now Mordecai had found out also that that Haman uh, had found out of Haman's plot, and he told Esther. He said, Esther, you have to do something. You have to go to the king. You have to let him know what this evil man is up to, what he wants to do. And she said, well, I can't go in. The protocol was that not, none of the women, the concubines or anybody else that were in the harem that he had there, they were never to go in on their own they had to be summoned to come before him. And she said, you know, that's punishable by death if I go just walk in and try to talk to him. And he said, well, he said, if you don't do something, he said, all your family, all your kin, all us Jewish people are going to be annihilated. And so he told her and and trying to encourage her all the more to do what we find in the 4th chapter and the 14th verse, Mordecai said to Esther, Who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this, that she was there at that time that she might prevent the annihilation of the Jewish people that were in the kingdom. So Esther then requested Mordecai, she said, You go and sent word that all the Jews are supposed to fast and pray, and I will do what you wanted me to want me to do. I'll go in. Well, she went in, and she brought, walked up. He was seated on his throne, and she went in, and she put his hand on the scepter, which she always usually in a was alongside a of the throne, you know, and it was the the symbol of power. And she went in. She put her hand on top of the scepter as it sat in its stand there, and the king was glad to see her. He wasn't angry. He wasn't about to put her to death uh, for for violating the protocol of that day. But he came in and he he said, "What is your request?" And when when uh, she was there, she said, "I wanted you to have a banquet. I want to have a banquet." So he. He made the banquet, and they had it that day. And then there there was a series of three banquets, the way I read it. And then uh, she knew that she had the king on her side, then she said, well, she needed another banquet, and be sure Haman's there. And the king set it up, and sure enough, he had Haman to be uh, present at uh, at that banquet. He had made arrangements for him to be present at that banquet. That night, the king had a night like I guess a lot of us have sometimes. We can't sleep too well. So when he couldn't sleep too well, he couldn't turn on the TV and watch TV till he got sleepy <laughs> again. So he called some of his aides and said, Will you go out and get the chronicles of the kingdom? That is, the things that the kingdom had accomplished under him. And they went out and they brought in the chronicles and they started reading to him. And they came down to this part where it said that a man named Mordecai had, through him and then Esther, they had found out about this plot that these two men had to assassinate him. Well, he said, what have we done to honor this man? And his aides said, we haven't done anything. Haman said, I mean, the king said to them, he said, well, that's wrong. Any man that serves us like that deserves some honor. So uh, he uh, told them that they should bring Mordecai in. And they brought Mordecai in and he, he gave him uh, honor. He gave him prestige. not only was a couple days. So this all happened that we're getting into now within a few days of each other. And it says, next day... They gathered at this banquet that uh, Esther had asked for. And he said, uh, well, she was going to ask for it. She didn't ask for it yet. And he said, what do you want? What is your request, Queen Esther? He said, I'll give, I'm willing to give you up to one half of the kingdom. She didn't want that. (laughs) Uh, So anyhow, she said, well, she said, there is a, a plot against you, against the Jews in the, in this province. And she said, uh, I think the person that has instigated this problem, you know, he ought to be brought to justice. So, uh, she, he said, well, who is this man that would, have, would kill off all the Jews in the kingdom? And she said, Haman is the man. And he pointed at him and uh, she pointed at him rather, and when she said it, and the king was very upset that that Haman had been plotting something like this, and he didn't even know about it. So uh, after the the banquet was over, after this happened, I should say, at the banquet, uh, he said Haman, but you have threatened to do to Mordecai and to the Jews in the kingdom is going to be done to you and uh, they went out and and uh, held well, caught him but the irony of the whole thing is that Haman and his ten sons were all hung on a scaffold that the night before Haman had built to hang Mordecai on because Mordecai was the main one that wouldn't bow down to him and give him homage, so he that, that was the main thing, and that he Haman was hung, and his uh, ten sons and were hung, and we, we see the story goes on that that uh, he hung them on the same scaffold that that he, that he had built to hang Mordecai on, and. Uh, after that was done, uh, after Haman was hung, we still had this edict out there that on a certain day all the Jews were to be killed in the kingdom. And Esther went in and pleaded with the king, "Please send out a, a new decree resc- rescinding you know this other uh, decree." And she said, "You see," she said, "I am a Jewess also." That's the first he knew that she was a Jew and that she was the niece of Mordecai. So the the uh, edict was made up and sent out that none of the Jews were to be killed, but uh, they were uh, to be taken care of. I mean, uh, in in a way of being not having to be killed. So we see Mordecai and Esther had got together with the king and set this up. Now Mordecai was given the signet ring that Haman had. He was clothed in a royal robe, uh, had a horse, one of the king's horses, and he uh, he told him, put a crest on him, because Haman wanted that for himself as part of the honor that he was going to get for having uncovered the two, well, having killed the other two. And uh, the signet ring a royal purple robe and a, ho- a white horse that had the signet of the, of the uh, empire on, his, on, it, on its head and he made before Haman was hung he made Haman leap the horse through the streets of Susa which was the name of the city where this was at so now what do we get out of this lesson I'm going to take you back to that 14th verse, I mean, the, yeah, the 14th verse in, in uh, chapter 4. Who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that God has you sitting here in this church for a time like this. A lot of people seem to think, Oh I go to church on Sunday. You know, I'm saved. I'm going to church you know sing along with the choir and sing along with the songs and and I, I'm, I think I'm doing my part Nope. But warming one of those chairs every Sunday morning is it, not what you're called to do. You're called to go beyond that. You're called to come and warm the chair while you're taught or you know, about, while the scriptures are explained to you but everybody I think has a calling on their life there is something that you can do I know there's some more out there that could come up here in the choir and help (laughs) (laughs) I know that uh, that men's work be coming up Maybe you can't preach, you can't teach, but I bet you can use a rake and stuff like that unless you have a problem, I mean, physical problem, that you're not allowed to do that kind of work. But you can do that. Maybe that's why God called you here, to help take care of the grounds. Help take care of the kitchen over there, some of you ladies. Make some more of that good stuff that you here at this church are known for. (laughs) For Sunday after church. You don't know what you're called for. But if you pray about it, God will impress it on you. What you should do to serve him. Because use more men at the men's breakfast too to help Ray cook. (laughs) It's a little hard for one person to, to have the do a lot of things. I watched the three men, he had two in with them on Saturday morning and they were all working through the whole time and uh, that, that they were back there in the kitchen getting ready for men's breakfast. So it's, come on out, go to Ray, volunteer. So the lesson I wanted you to get out of this today is you are here for a purpose. You are here for this time. I can see when I look back a little bit into a little history of the church, a lot of you are here for a time like this, that we can, got turned around and the attendance is way, going up. So with that, let us have a word of prayer.